I will let you in on a funny conversation I had. Perhaps it's not funny, but revelatory. It is early Friday morning. I log onto Zoom. I'm talking to my spiritual director. I am not ready to have a conversation at this point. It's too early on my day off. So out of nowhere, he says, who is God to you right now? And I stumble over something. I say, well, I, I can't really succinctly talk about that. I mean, there's so many things that have been said and written, and I would need an hour just to begin unpacking that. And he said, I, I didn't ask for you to give an account of the entire faith. I just asked, who is God to you right now, this Friday morning? Irritated and flustered and really not ready to be on this call yet, I blurted out the first thing that came to my mind. God is the good shepherd who beats back the wolves. There was silence. And then he said, you believe in a God who acts, who defends the helpless, a God who never abandons the flock, even when it's scary. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but maybe, maybe there's something to that. A God who never abandons the flock, even when it's scary. That's the kind of God we encounter today, this fourth Sunday of Easter, the Sunday when we take a pause from the both very fleshly and very mystical encounters with the risen Christ and go back to how Jesus described who he was, trying to look for something that we might have missed. But in order to understand what it means to worship a God who acts, who defends, who never abandons, we need to remember the unique way that only John, of all the Gospels, describes Jesus' being. In John's Gospel, Jesus is revealed first not as a shepherd, but as the Lamb of God. No other Gospel says anything else about Jesus being the Lamb of God. Only John in the first chapter, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, his greeting is the one that we sing in the Gloria every Sunday. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is only much later in chapter 10, where we find ourselves today, that Jesus refers to himself as not just the baby sheep, but as the shepherd. The Greek word that we translate as good today could also be something like beautiful or noble or wonderful, or the way that resonates the most with me today, true. Throughout this discourse, Jesus is naming characteristics of the true shepherd, and all of these descriptions are familiar to the people hearing them. They've heard this because this is coming straight from the prophet Ezekiel. These are the beloved stories of old. They know what kind of a shepherd they are looking for. And there are five things that he talks about that come straight from Ezekiel. The shepherd knows the sheep, cares for the sheep, 
rescues them from the places they have been scattered, feeds them, and tends to the weak ones. What Jesus adds is that he also gives his life for them, willingly. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in order to pick it up anew, in order for them to be born anew. What is the one thing that's required of all of these six different responsibilities? What is required for knowing, caring, rescuing, feeding, tending, and even dying? It's closeness, proximity, intimacy. You cannot know someone from far away. Perhaps you can admire them on a pedestal, but you can't really have a deep understanding of them. You cannot feed someone if you're distracted, paying attention to something else. You cannot really care when you're lost in your own head. All of this requires closeness, intense presence. Notice in the way he talks about this, the good shepherd is not someone leading from far off, watching the sheep just wander and not intervening until the end. The shepherd is there with them in the chaos, in the mess of life, in the incompleteness. The shepherd is there with them in the wilderness, the desert places. The shepherd goes right there with them into the scary places. And he owns them, it says, but it's not about possession or domination. The sheep are not objects for the shepherd. He knows them by name, and they know the sound of his voice. There is mutual trust here between the sheep and the shepherd. The true shepherd is in contrast to a hired hand. The hired hand, or what I might call the fraudulent shepherd, only cares about themselves at the expense of the sheep. The hired hand might look like a shepherd, seem like a shepherd, but when the wolves come, they prove they are not true shepherds because they abandon the flock. They fail to act when it is needed. They refuse to defend the helpless. In order for Jesus to be the true shepherd, he must actually know and care what it's like to be a sheep. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is in the Father's sheepfold. Jesus knows how it feels to be tended to, and this is the way that he becomes the true shepherd. Jesus is loved relentlessly by the Father and desires to love us relentlessly to restore our relationship. In the way he shepherds, he's inviting us into the close relationship he has with his own Father. For us to talk about being in Jesus' sheepfold means that we are invited into a love, a love that stretches from before time into a future beyond time. And then in the same way that you and I, 
who are beloved sheep, accompanied by a true shepherd, become shepherds for this beautiful and broken world is how we welcome others into that same love. True shepherds can care in a way that is not coddling nor demanding, care in a way that isn't alienating for the sheep. The calling to Christians today is to go to the places where hired hands have abandoned flocks, go to the places where there is destruction, go to the places where wolves have scattered sheep, go there and find our good shepherd waiting for us in the brokenness and mess, waiting to redeem all of it. Psalm 23, the psalm that I remember hearing and repeating at times when I lost someone I loved, describes what it's like to walk with our true shepherd. It is comfort, but it's comfort because it's true and present. The psalmist believes in a God who abides with us. But let's talk about what abiding does and doesn't mean. There is no promise that we will not go through dark valleys, but that the shepherd will go with us. There is no promise that we won't encounter enemies, but that we won't be abandoned to them. There's no promise that we won't encounter evil, It is that with our shepherd, we don't have to fear that evil. There is no promise that we won't face times that are scary. But instead, it is that we know we are kept safe merely by being in the presence of our true shepherd. When the roads look rough ahead, when we find ourselves meeting a challenge so great, There are often two paths we can take. The first, pessimism, which might sound like this. Real change can't happen. The evil is too much. I'll never be able to overcome that one thing that has its grip on me. The second, escapism, which sounds like this. Avoid the pain, numb it. Focus on the positive, try to see the bright side. But there is another way that is not pessimism nor escapism, and it requires a lot more courage. It's called trust. It's trust that a shepherd is actually accompanying us. It's trust that the shepherd never abandons us. It's trust that there is a shepherd who will use us in our imperfections and our brokenness to transform the entire sheepfold. It is trusting that the shepherd who is very close to us knows our limits and our weaknesses, knows what keeps us up at night, knows what we are afraid of. And when the shepherd sees that, he has no desire to run away has no desire to just leave us to our own devices. Trust that the one who governs the entire universe also cares about each one of the things weighing heavy on our hearts this morning. Will you trust 
that your shepherd really will supply your need. God is the good shepherd who acts, who defends the helpless, and who never, never abandons the flock, come what may. Amen.